0: Hello and a warm welcome. I am Armin Trost, professor for organizational behavior at the Furtwangen University in Germany, and this is my course on social research methods. So, welcome everybody. Today we talk about measurement. Uh, of course, You you know, whenever it comes to research, we measure things. If if a scientist does one thing, then he or she probably measures things. (laughs) Um, But now the the maybe difficult, simple question comes: What is that measurement? What is that? How would you, if, if you if you were asked to write a Wikipedia article to the term measurement, what would you write? Not so easy. Uh, Maybe let's start simple. What is the outcome of measurement? A number, right? A number, not a picture, not a word, not a sound. It's a number. For instance, 117. (laughs) So what is measurement? measurement always relates, in a scientific context, always relates to a variable. And we measure to get the condition of a variable. And we put this into numbers. So, to give you an example, we want to measure a variable called intelligence, and the outcome might be 117. (laughs) So, it's not that we say... Oh the intelligence of John is mm, pretty good not perfect but okay Now we say 112 which is more than okay <laughs> Yeah So numbers Now this is not the this is not the biggest thing here What what I want you to to really see in social science is that in social science, we very often measure things that we do not see. Uh, in most cases, we measure things we don't see. And that's an interesting idea. So, for instance, job satisfaction. We assume there is something like job satisfaction. That's a variable that is uh, heavily used in, in organizational behavior, for instance. Uh, so it's a, it's a social science about the behavior of people in organizations. And I mentioned this variable already. Sometimes we assume that people who are very high on job satisfaction demonstrate a higher level of performance or whatever, which, by the way, is not fully true. Um, and we assume it is there. If, you, if you're not so, 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 so deep in uh, human resource management or organizational behavior, but you deal more with marketing, then you could also think about uh, customer satisfaction or consumer satisfaction. Yeah. Let's talk about consumer satisfaction. Have you ever seen that? No, you don't. You, you have never seen consumer satisfaction. Now you might say, yeah, but I can see it. I can see it based on the smile on the face. Yeah, but, but then you see the smile on the face. And you, you draw a conclusion from the smile on the face towards something that you still could not see. So if you have seen customer satisfaction, maybe you can explain how that looks like. How big is that? Is that so small? Where is it? Is it, is it in your brain? Is it Where is it? Have you seen it? Have you ever met a person who has lost his consumer uh, uh, satisfaction? How is it? Do, do you have, as a person, I mean, I, I assume you are a consumer. Do you have a consumer satisfaction? Then you might say, no, I don't have one consumer satisfaction. I have many consumer satisfaction. How many? Ah, maybe I have consumer satisfaction towards all the different products I use. Oh, then you have millions of consumer satisfactions in you. Is that something stable? Since when do you have this? Everything I say sounds stupid, I know. It may be weird, but I really want to challenge you and think, okay, all the things that we look at in social science is not visible and maybe it's not even there why do why do we believe there is something like consumer satisfaction why do we believe there is something like job satisfaction why do we believe there is something like motivation why do we believe there is something like intelligence why do we believe there is something like optimism why do we believe there is something like an attitude why do we believe there is something like culture You know, all these things that we have never seen. We believe in science that these things are there because they were capable to explain things. Got it? It's an important point. We need those variables. We need those variables because these variables are all part of a theory. And in the past, the theory were capable enough to explain things. So, for instance, with intelligence, that's a good example. there was always the idea that some kids are good in school and some are not so good in school. So there was a psychologist called Alfred Binet in Paris. It was in early in the in the 20th century who was probably the first one who tried to measure something that we then called intelligence. And that was cool because by by understanding intelligence. We were now capable of predicting whether somebody will be good in school or not, or whether somebody will be capable of solving a problem or not. Uh, we need job satisfaction to explain whether somebody will stay with the company or leave the company, right? We, we need something like motivation. It's something you have never seen, motivation. You feel it, yeah, but you've never seen it. Yeah, we need motivation to explain why some put more efforts into a task and some some less. So when we see different people put different effort into whatever it is, uh, we, we, we explain and say, yeah, probably they are differently motivated. Ah, okay, motivated. Interesting. What is that? Motivation. Yeah, it's a, it's a psychological variable. It's there. Really, it's there. Have you seen it? No, but we, you know, it helps. So, that's not enough. But the the interesting point really is that we have to understand that almost all things that we measure in social science are not visible. These are all theoretical concepts. And still we assume they are there as long as they can explain something, okay? So, I mean, that's also something that, that you should not be into too naive. Probably a lot of things that we're talking about constantly in social science do not really exist, at least not in that way how we imagine uh, uh, things. So still we measure it, and how do we do this? Uh, yeah, let's have an example. Let's have uh, uh, intelligence again. Intelligence you have never seen it, but explains a lot. Um, is something hidden? You can't see it, so we use some indicators, right? We use some indicators to draw conclusion about intelligence. So we ask people to, to solve different problems yeah, of, of different kinds, whatever that is. I mean, if you, if you do an intelligence test, uh, if you conduct one, you, you see all these different tasks. So, and then based on, on the level you achieve in the task, there's a clear algorithm, there's a clear formula that translate your achievement, your performance, into one single number. This is, in testing, we're going to talk about this later, we name this the test score. It's a number. So it could be you do a test and your result is 97. <laughs> 97. Okay. And this number, these two digits, they reflect something incredibly complex, your intelligence. Hmm. So we use these multiple indicators and translate this into one specific outcome. Okay, this is what we do. It's the same with, with it's a simple idea, you, you, you know this idea. It, it's the same with, let's say, in, in most exams. So I also teach, as many of you know, uh, human resource management. So I assume there is something like knowledge in human resource management. This is a theoretical concept. I assume it's there. So And, and I assume that people differ in their knowledge regarding human resource management. But I can't see it. If I could see it, I would not need an exam. So I see the students, I see 120 students sitting in front of me and I think, okay, everybody has a certain level of knowledge in human resource management. I can't see it. How can I make it visible? I still believe it's there. Otherwise I would not do an exam either. So uh, I, I, they all do a test and I ask seven indicators. I ask seven questions. And when somebody is capable of answering all seven questions in a correct way, then I assume, okay, hmm, he or she has a good understanding in human resource management. And that turns into a number, which we name the grade. And then when you have the grade, you say, okay, this grade reflects the knowledge in human resource management, which, again, we have never seen, but still assume it's there. And uh, now it comes. Next thing that that I want you to understand. Sorry if things are a little bit vague here now, but but sometimes we have to be a little bit more philosophical here. But um, whenever whenever you use indicators to measure something that you that you uh, cannot see, there are assumptions behind assumptions. So I have a good example, and, and a very good example is temperature. You have never seen temperature. You 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 could feel the temperature. That's interesting. If you if you touch something, you feel it's cold or but you can't see it, you can't hear it. Yeah, now you might say you, can't, you can see it, because if somebody is turning red, maybe it's, 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 it's probably very hot. Uh, you can see whether uh, water is frozen. Yeah, you can see the color. You can see the physical state of, of, of some, some matter, like, like water, but you cannot see the temperature. The temperature is the movement of the molecules. You, you, you can't see them. No, really none. Nope, not. No, no, no way. So here is the assumption. And the assumption is that matter expands with increasing temperature. I mean you, you all know this from school in physics, you learned this. So if you have some matter, it could, could be anything. Uh, solid matter, a piece of metal for instance, if, 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 that, if that becomes warmer also with air or so, if it gets warmer, then it expands in, in, in size. And that's uh, in particular true with uh, something like mercury. Mercury, if you put, if you put mercury in a glass tube, a mercury is very sensitive to, to uh, temperature. And that's why we put mercury in such a glass tube. And now if we assume this assumption is true that there is a proportional relationship between the, the, the volume of a matter and its temperature, then we can use the expansion of the volume of Mercury to measure temperature. And that's cool. <laughs> that's it. But now comes the, comes the other idea. If this assumption about matter expansing with, um, with increasing temperature, if that is not true, your measurement is not true either. It's not valid either. We to say valid. It's not valid either. So, whether your measurement is valid or not pretty much depends on the validity of your underlying assumptions. So, when you measure something, you have to be clear about your assumptions. And this is something that we're going to do over, over, over again. Really, you want to measure intelligence. Okay, what are your assumptions? You want to measure job satisfaction, what are your assumptions? When just asking somebody, would you recommend a friend to work here? What, what, is, your, what is your real assumption? If your assumption is wrong, you can forget the measurement. And we kind of talk about those things. So for instance, in, if we very often use questionnaire in social science. So we want to measure customer satisfaction and we ask a customer, hey, you have just bought this book hmm, okay, how satisfied are you with this book? On a five star, you know, one star, five star, so. And then the consumer says, four stars, meaning, hmm, okay, not so excited, but pretty pretty happy with the book, okay. You ask this person, and then you get this four star. Would you really believe this four star reflect his or her consumer satisfaction? It's a very, very complicated process that happens between you are asking about his satisfaction and getting the four stars. It's very complicated. And whether and whether this four star really reflects something that we at the end could name consumer uh, satisfaction, that is really questionable. Really, we're going to talk about this. Okay? Uh, so, uh, one more thing I would like to add here uh, because I love it so much. No, not just because I love it, but but because it's so... It's so essential also in social science is what we name non-reactive measurement. What is non-reactive measurement? Non-reactive measurement uh, means that the subject, the one who participate in your, in your study, do not know that they participate in a study and thus cannot react to your measurement. Now uh, That sounds weird. Where does it come from? It comes from physics. When you, Let's say you have, uh, uh, you have a glass of water or any kind of matter, yeah? let's say water, And this water has a certain temperature. When you put in a thermometer, you change the temperature of the water by just putting the thermometer into it. That's reactivity. The matter, the thing that you want to measure, reacts on the measurement itself. And that's something we very often have in social science. You you ask somebody a question, in a questionnaire maybe, and the person knows, oh, now I measured. Then the person might react. So you want to measure... For instance, uh, the drug abuse of a person, and you ask this person, okay, how much alcohol do you drink in a day on average? Never assume that you get the real truth. There is something that we name social desirability. The people will react on the fact that they know, oh, now I'm observed. Yeah? Um, so in social science, very often it's good to have a, a non-reactive measurement, a way to measure things without the subject being aware of the fact that he or she is now taking part in a study. And there's a wonderful example I really like. Uh, Maybe some of you remember. We Germans, we will never remember, but in the year 2014, we won the final football world championship, 2014. 2014. That was something. And um, there is an interesting analysis done by the, uh, by the city of Munich because uh, over the course of this game they tracked the water consumption. Now, there is, <laughs> there is an idea and that's, that's the assumption here. When you watch something on TV... Right? And the thing you have seen is over a game or whatever, a show or whatever. What do most people do? Go to the bathroom. <laughs> and so when many people watch a show and the show is over or there is a break or whatever, Many people go to the bathroom. <laughs> and when many people go to the bathroom, then the water consumption in that moment goes up. That's interesting. So when you look at to a break or a, a significant moment in a show or in, in whatever, yeah, and the water goes up, then you can assume that in the second before they have, show, they have watched this show. Okay. And you can really tell it when you when you look into when you look at the the water consumption in Munich uh, during the final. You see, after the half break, water consumption goes extremely down. Also in the break before the extension, it goes really down. I know this analysis that I show you here is in uh, in, in in German, but it does not matter. <laughs> Just, uh, these two peaks are the breaks, yeah. The first break, the half break, then after 90 minutes, then the break after the first half of the extension, and then nobody went to the bathroom anymore because, not in Germany, really not. Maybe in Argentina, could be, yeah. There are nice ways how you can measure things without uh, the subject being aware of it. I, I, I studied in the University of Mannheim, and uh, there was a great professor, a marketing professor, he he de- did research about the uh, product preferences of kids. He wanted to know what kids like. What do they prefer? So he rented a, a store window in the city of Mannheim, it's a German city, you know, and he, and he rented a, a, a store window. And he positioned different products in the store window for a period of time. And there's the assumption, what do What do children do when they pass by a store window and see something interesting? They want to get close to that object. So they see something standing. So the question might be, do do children prefer toys of wood or toys of plastic? (laughs) So you can position them in the store window. And when a kid passes by and is interested in one of the products, they want to get closer to it. But now here's the window in between. So they touch the window. And now you can look at the... He, he, he used a very sophisticated technique to analyze the intensity of the fingerprints. So based on the fingerprints and, 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 the, and the height, the height of the fingerprints, he could also tell the age of the children. <laughs> it's fantastic, right? <yeah? laughs> so he could measure in which age people prefer which toy. And the, the, the kids, of course, not even the parents, that's more important in this case. We're not aware that the kids now uh, take part in a study, okay? <laughs> so, I, I would like to leave it to this. Um, I just wanted to share with you some thoughts around measurement, what is measurement? Yeah, translating things into numbers, that very often things we measure we cannot really see, so we have to be creative, we have to use some, some assumptions. Sometimes we do not even know whether things are there, but we believe it because they explain things. We use indicators. Uh, to translate things into numbers and a very good way to measure things might be non-reactive measurement. I would like to leave it to this now, okay, and uh, yeah, see us next time.